We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Ball loose. Stevenson for three. Give me one, Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Kush with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go, go. Good job. Oh, what a move by Heald. He lays it in. Heald. Hotter than fish grease. Drops it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Outrunning is Brissette. Pounds it home. It to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. What is going on, Pacer Nation? Happy Sunday to you. We're recording this at 3 p.m. Yes, a couple hours before the Pacers game. We have got a plenty of mailbag questions here for you. Fachi, thanks so much for coming back on, and I think you're ready to talk about the Pacers and these mailbag questions. Always, always. I mean, I'm, I'm delivering these letters personally to you guys. So I appreciate the questions. Keep them coming because I'm always jacked up to talk about Pacer basketball. Yeah, and we've been getting so uh, such a good response. We really want to thank you guys for doing that. And if you have recently found the podcast and you're sending in questions, we didn't say it last week on the episode. That's my fault. But please um, limit your questions to one question uh, per person. It just makes it easier for everybody else to get a chance to get in here. Um, Sometimes the uh, two, three, four part questions can be interesting. But for the sake of trying to get everybody in here and keeping it at a reasonable time, we ask that you do just keep it to one question moving forward. So if you're listening back, please keep that in consideration for next week. But let's move on and start with our first question here. Fachi, are you ready? Ready. All right. Sam Culbertson, former fan of the week. He said, who is your safe draft pick? And who is your reaching for the Stars draft pick? Safe draft pick, I'm going to go with Jabari Smith, Jay Nivey. I feel like those two, in my mind, I feel like are very safe. Chet Holmgren is growing on me. He is. I was a pretty anti-Chet in the beginning of the year. Now it's like, look, the man's putting up some, some pretty big numbers over there. Um, but my reach for the Stars pick is the mystery box himself. Shane Sharp, Sharp. <laughs> has to be. I mean, look, this guy, he's never going to play a collegiate second. They say he's supposed to be number one ranked for next year's class before reclassifying. 
it just feels like he has a lot of intangibles for what you look for in a really, really promising player. But it's the definition, reaching for a star. Yeah, so I actually said anybody in the top four is a safe draft pick. I just really feel like all four of those players will be good NBA players. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll uh, we'll see. I'm going to say Jaden Ivey is the safest pick, though, for me, just because guards, that with that, with that, athletic, with that athleticism, Flachie, um, and his three-point shooting has been pretty good in college. I think he's going to translate to the NBA. Um, I know there's been some like back and forth. I think some fans are that are more anti him are starting to become more vocal because they're tired of seeing the Pacer fans talk about him. Um, I've been getting a lot of those like anti Ivy people in my in my mentions, and actually one person said they wish that he had a terrible career. I'm just like really, I mean, good grief! Like just because you're an IU fan, I mean I'm an IU fan, and I don't want him to be bad. So. Uh, just a little bit surprising there. But, yeah, Shaden Sharp, who else would be the mystery box in this year's draft? I mean, um, I can't really think of anybody else at this point. Maybe Ty Ty Washington just because uh, he seems to be falling a little bit and, and, and could be a guy that ends up being well, uh, doing well. I think another guy, I'm going to talk about him later and more in depth, but he's going to be mid-first round, I would assume, potentially later first round in like the 20 range. But I would say probably in that 15 to 18 range is Nikolajovic. I just mm-hmm. think – uh, anytime you get international players, they're always intriguing, and I think that could be somewhat reaching for the stars. And I could see a team possibly taking a risk on him in the lottery if they really like how he works out and stuff. Plus, it doesn't hurt that his name is so similar to Nikola Jokic. So, exactly. I mean, look, you can only hope for the best there. But uh, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. Those top four feel really safe. Then, once you go to fifth and on, you're getting a pretty good player, but maybe not a star. But yeah. I would say next question, DJ Davis, uh, looking toward the 2022-2023 and beyond, how have the Pacers consistently lost so many close games without looking like they're trying to tank? With New Orleans, uh, San Antonio, Sacramento, all trying harder to win games, and Orlando, Detroit, OKC uh, playing better, how does Carlisle play the next 21 games to move up percentage-wise for an elite pick in the 1-4 to range? Um, I would just say pay attention to the rotations. They've been playing a lot of different rotations. Um, a lot of guys that don't have a ton of chemistry together. Um, I think the closing lineup in overtime was Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Lance Stevenson, Jalen Smith, and um, maybe O'Shea. Is that right? Is that like the five that closed yep. out the game? It's like, you know, Jalen just got here a couple of weeks ago. Tyrese and Buddy have played together, but they're not super familiar with Lance Stevenson or O'Shea Brissett. So it's like, this is the five we're rolling out here with. Like maybe that's your five best players without Brogdon, um, you know, but still it just, it just seems like some of the rotations are a little bit different. I think in the fourth quarter, we saw Halliburton. I think he started the fourth quarter or came in early in the fourth. Um, SGA did not come in for the Thunder until like the six minute mark. As soon as SGA came in, Carlisle pulled Halliburton in that timeout for like two to three minutes. It's like, okay, uh, why would you not just leave Halliburton out there with SGA out there? And so then like the, the Thunder actually came back in that game that I was at. So I was like, okay, uh, just a little bit surprising there, but yeah, I think that's uh, for me, the only way that he can really do it and, and potentially maybe changing up some defensive schemes. I don't know, you know, just like go into a zone, even if it, even if it doesn't work to try it out, you know, just being more, um, I guess you could say experimental with, with rotations and with the defensive and offensive schemes and systems is to try to see what you have with uh, the current core you have. Yeah, those are some great points, especially the one that you made, you know, while being at the game, you know, the SGA uh, comment that you made. That's definitely very interesting. Um, I would say, look, for most of the season, we've seen the teams come out flat after halftime in the fourth quarter. We've also seen them do things like, for instance, Carl rested Brogdon for the full fourth quarter in overtime. Despite Brogdon having a pretty good game, I, I think if they really, if this was a must win, I would think 
that Brogdon would have played a little bit more or played in the fourth quarter overtime at all, period. Um, you know, maybe they continue to rest Turner for the rest of the year. You know, we don't yeah. know. Maybe Brogdon doesn't play in back-to-backs. Maybe he's on a minute restriction moving forward. There's different ways to play this. I, I think when you mentioned, you know, tinkering with, uh, you know, some of the units that are closing games, the Pacers have also used 27 different starting lineups this year. Um, so that's fourth most in the NBA. So, look, the last 21 games, it gets easier on the schedule. So it's going to be hard to truly flat-out tank unless it becomes a bit obvious. But, you know, I think the Pacers did a really good job handling that situation against OKC. Yeah, and I think one reason that made me a little bit nervous that they weren't trying to tank is Gogo Batadze only played one minute. So Yeah, I know. <laughs> kind of surprising. I thought he'd play at least like 10 to 15, if he, even though he wasn't starting. But, nope, they gave those minutes to Jalen Smith, Terry Taylor, and uh, Isaiah Jackson at Rightfully the center so. position. So, you know, Goga has found himself down towards the bottom of the rotation, even with everybody fully healthy. So I think that's interesting to watch moving forward. But let's move on to our next question. This comes from Walter Lambert. He said, I know everyone keeps wanting to sh- uh, see how Turner fits with this group, but do you think it's worth playing time or taking playing time away from Isaiah Jackson? From what I've seen so far, no way the Pacers extend Turner with the way Ajax is playing now and his future potential appearing to be much higher. Look, I'm going to be honest. Look, the, the, the door's shut over here. Babe can't hear me. I love me some Isaiah Jackson. I'm falling in love over here because oh I don't want to. I don't want to take any playing time away from Isaiah because. Look, in a perfect world, I'd love to see Turner and Isaiah playing together. Also, for the sole purpose of getting to see Miles as maybe the sole center over here. But, I mean, I don't want to rush him back at this point. And I'm with you. Look, Isaiah's been so fun to watch. It feels like only us can hold him back by having too many other bigs to to put in there. We've seen that Isaiah's a very, very capable, feels like underselling how good of a shot blocker he could be. But yeah. then also the way that he could you know, get five blocks against OKC. But the way that he could finish in traffic, catch lobs, soar through the air. I mean, he had multiple and ones in that game. It's something that no offense to Turner or any other big on this team, but they simply can't do. Yeah, no, and I would just say this. Look, Isaiah Jackson only played 23 minutes in the game against OKC. That means that there's still plenty of time in the big man rotation for Turner to get minutes. So I don't think Turner is going to be taking away minutes from Isaiah Jackson. And I think a majority of Pacers fans want to see what that duo looks like together. They do. I do too. Yeah, because like right now, I like Isaiah Jackson. I like his potential, but he's got to put some weight on. Um, Has to. He's not really a great screen setter. And he he kind of looks more like Montrez Harrell out there offensively than he does anything else. Like just in terms of like how Montrez looked when he first came into the league, like mm-hmm. just kind of a bouncy guy that can get up for alley-oops and, that And that's what I'm trying to say when I describe the two. Like, I don't think they're, like, the same player. But kind of the vibe I get, like, okay, this guy's really fun to watch. can throw alley-oops, you know. He's shown some signs of shooting, but he doesn't do it very much. I think he took one three in the game against OKC. It was just five of seven. But I really like that he got to the foul line, Fachi. He's seven and ten from the free throw line in just 23 minutes. And, like you said, he had five blocks, six rebounds. It was a really good game for him. I was impressed with him overall. But at the end of the day, you know, I don't think that, you know, Turner necessarily will take away from his minutes. And I think right now with extending Turner, I think you just kind of have to like play by ear more than anything because Isaiah Jackson, um, while he could be the starting center in two years, you just you just have to be careful with overpaying Turner potentially and, and having him here on a long lengthy contract just because he has injury history, especially the last three years. He's missed, you know, quite a few games. So 
I would uh, I would like to see what happens here, but at the same time, I don't I don't think Turner is really getting in Isaiah Jackson's way if he returns. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I think there's enough minutes to go around, but it's just the fact that it's like, man, come next year, I really want to see Isaiah Jackson being able to be given a full opportunity here because when this guy's playing double figure minutes, he's putting up double figures just about every single game. I just went through all of his numbers. He has two games on the year, three games on the year where he's played, you know, at least 10 minutes or more and not scored in double figures. I mean, this guy lately, I mean, since he's been, I would say fully unleashed, like, you know, towards the end of January, 17 points, 12 points, 26, 11 and 17. And in some of those games, he's actually gotten hurt. So it just feels like that's just from a scoring standpoint. I think he's going to develop as a rebounder. I think when you mentioned when he puts on size, I mean, I already mentioned he had two and ones, at least two uh, in the game against the Thunder. I mean, he's going to be able to fight through, you know, bodies in the paint next year. So that's going to be great to see. So I, I'm just I just want to give him the full opportunity. I think it's now known Go is not really going to be in the cards. So I think that his minutes are going to be the, the first minutes that are slashed. And then after that, you still got to see what's going to happen with Jalen Smith moving forward. if He's going to be on the team or not. So yeah. a, lot, a lot to be resolved. Mm-hmm. I agree, Fudge. Next question, we have Jordan S. He said, I love the way Tyrese approaches the game with a pass-first mindset and is a team-first guy. But I personally think he should be trying to get up 15 to 20 shot attempts per game, personally. What are your guys' thoughts on this? Yeah, so he was 6 of 10 against the Thunder, which I thought was a really good efficient number. But come on, you have got to be... You know, Lance Stevenson got up, I think, five shot attempts in overtime. Like, look, I'm not saying be as aggressive as Lance is looking for a shot sometimes, but, you know, I would like to see some selfishness because he's such a selfless player. Um, I'm sure you recall that game against OKC when he passed to Isaiah Jackson in the corner. It was a one-point game, and he's got the ball in his hands, a chance to take over and get a basket for a go-ahead, you know, shot or at least get into the paint and then find something maybe there on a cut. And instead, he just, like, kind of, like, weakly attacked his defender and didn't really like push to try to get a good shot and then just kicked it over to Isaiah Jackson. Then Isaiah Jackson got called for being out of bounds because anytime you put a big man with big feet over in the corner, it's just, there's not a lot of room over there. So to me, it was just like, this is when you have to have the awareness of, Hey, I'm the franchise guy. I'm the guy that got introduced last, even though Malcolm Brogdon was in the starting lineup. I'm the guy that traded their best player for. I am the guy that Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan said they want to have here for the next decade. You have got to own it. And trust me, ain't no fan going to be mad if you take a shot that is a little bit contested because we want to see you grow in that area. We want to see Tyrese Halliburton be aggressive and be our go-to guy. But if he continues to be passive in that situation, you're going to have to find someone kind of like similar to like an Anthony Edwards type of mentality where he's like, yeah, I hit every big shot on me. You know, I'm Anthony Edwards, pass me the ball. You know, you're going to have to find someone that has that mentality to put next to Halliburton if he's going to be that that passive for the next couple of years. Yeah, look, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, you made some great points over there. And, you know, Jordan, I hear you do, to the extent is my one knock on Halliburton. It took maybe two, three games into when he became a pacer. I'm saying he's got to be more aggressive. He's got to look for a shot. I had a bunch of Kings fans saying, like, that's just not who he is. And say, I get it. I get it. But the difference is on Sacramento, you know, it's more Darren Fox's team. This could be Tyrese Halliburton's team, and we need him to shoot the ball more. I've seen he's gotten a slow starts from a shot attempting standpoint a couple of times. I want to say he had two shots in the first quarter against OKC and he made both of them. One of them was just a straight up fast break layup. The other one was a jumper, but it feels like by halftime, he's only getting up like four or five shots when he's a really efficient shooter. So 
when you say 15 to 20 shots per game, since he came over from Sacramento, he's actually in Sacramento for his career, he's averaging 11 shots per game, roughly. Since he's come over to Indiana, it's actually over 13 and a half. So he is technically shooting a little bit more. I know it's a small sample size, but I want to see that 13 and a half rise to about 15 shots per game. So if it goes to 20, maybe he does lose a little bit of that pass first mentality, which I personally love. But I'm with you, Alex. He's got to get a few more shots up because I can live with it any time if he's going to put up a shot in a big moment where we need a basket compared to kind of dishing it to Isaiah Jackson, a rookie who's standing by the three-point line where, you know, as you mentioned, steps out of bounds. And that was tough. Uh, it was a bit cringy just being like, oh, come on. Like, Tyrese, like, you can get to the free throw line. You're a good enough free throw shooter. You're, you're a good jump shooter. Put up some shots. So I'm with you guys. I think that's going to be the one knock. But if it is the knock, things could be a lot worse. Absolutely. Let's move on to our next question. This one is a good one here from Aaron M., Said if the Pacers package the Cavs first round pick and the Rockets early second round pick, how far do you think they can move up in the draft? If they can move up, I would target Jeremy Sokon from Baylor in that scenario. Yeah, look, here's the thing. It all depends where that Cavs pick falls. I mean, at this moment, I looked at it. It's slated to be 23rd overall. However, the Cavs are so close to so many other teams that Guys, there's a chance that could be a top 20 pick. It could be like 20th overall. I mean, we got Karis LeVert's out for a bit. Garland's been banged up. Like, who knows? Rondo's out. I mean, they're they're thin at guards. Like, that pick could end up being 20th overall. So, say if you package the 20th and the 33rd, maybe you're willing to take on a little bit of a contract, nothing too crazy. I think that could get you maybe to, what, 14 to 16? I think it's definitely a possibility. And the guy that you mentioned, I believe it's Jeremy Sohan, I believe it's um, for Baylor. Uh, he's, I looked at, he's projected to be 22nd to 24th overall in most mock boards. So Pacers might actually be able to outright grab him, but a lot of things could change from now through the end of March Madness. Yeah. And I mean, I know some people are, are high on him as a, as a prospect, you know, I've seen some people have him in like the top 15, but I've also seen a lot of people have him where you have him at Fachi, where you've seen him at, and that's like the late 20s. So for this one, it was a tough one for me. I basically just said, look, I uh, I think you probably get to the 15 to 18 range. Yep. I'm moving up with that. But it's kind of tough because looking at who has those draft picks, San Antonio has a couple. OKC has one. Mini has one. Houston has one in that range. So they might not want to acquire two picks just because they already have so much young players on their roster already. Um, but this is where I'm going to go back to the name that I brought up earlier, Nikolajovic. Um, I've kept my eyes on him for a little bit, and he's six foot 10, 209 pounds. He's a small forward, power forward from Serbia. Uh, really, he's known to be a point forward, Fachi. Um, looking up some of his uh, just like draft scouting reports, one of the scouting reports I looked up said he has a crafty dribble and an impressive handle, decent shooter. Needs, I think he needs to improve there. I think he's only shooting like 31% from three this season at uh, uh, overseas, so from in Serbia. So he's got to work on that. But uh, he's not super athletic at all, um, but he is quick and powerful. So I think he's one of those guys that just seems like a smart player that, that could translate a little bit better over here. And if you're Indiana, I know this sounds dumb, but like getting international players that could potentially be something special is kind of a big thing that could be good for a small market. We've seen a lot of guys in the league that are uh, that are, you know, you know, European players or guys that played overseas 
they seem to just like the loyalty. Look at Giannis, look at Jokic. Yep. Uh, I'm sure there's other names out there, but those are the two big ones I'm thinking of right now. Um, but even over time, like Tony Parker was from France, Manu Ginobili was from Dirk. Yeah, Dirk. I mean, they all stayed with their teams for the majority of it. So that's kind of something to just kind of keep your your head, you know, your mind on. And then, of course, uh, Marcus Saul, he stayed with Memphis for a very long time, a very small market as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be on that all-star level, but I'm just giving that an idea like, hey, if he can translate and, and be a bring a position of need to this team, they could definitely use a point forward. I, I think that someone to help kind of run the second unit would be cool in a different format. But, but yeah, I just – I like Nikola Jovic a lot, and I know some other draft guys have some interest in him as well. I'm going to be honest, Alex. I'm halfway sold right now because, look – you, you, I like your point on the loyalty. For you can't, well, we can't expect every good European player to be as loyal. But the names that you rattled off and everything, man, I, I, I love it. And plus, we're still owed for for going after Srunas Yesikovicius years ago. <laughs> we're owed for that because that did not work out, and that man was supposed to be a star. So maybe yeah. Nikola Jovic, maybe that's uh, us making it right. But yeah. Next question we have Herbie Campbell. Quick question: Is it too soon to name my unborn child Tyrese? Hey, if you and your if you and your partner are are cool with that name, um, I'd say why not? I think Tyrese is a great name. Uh, it's a uh, it's uh, a name full of promise. So we got Tyrese Maxey and Tyrese Halliburton, two really good young point guards. So hey, Herbie, I think Tyrese Campbell, twenty five years from now, we could be seeing him in the NBA. Very well could. And Herbie, I'm with you. I say absolutely not. Look, I was pushing my fiance hard to name our dog Jermaine. Problem was, she said, it's a girl. And I said, all right. So we settled on Indy. So look, Tyrese (laughs) right now, it's running wild. I can't say I blame you one bit if you go with Tyrese. Yeah. And did you know that Tyrese Halliburton did say his favorite wrestler growing up was John Cena? Did you see that? I did not, but I love a good WWE, NBA, you know, AEW, whatever you're going to do. When wrestling and basketball collide, I love it. You can't see me, brother. Let's move on to our next question. This comes from Jason L. He said, for fun, using player X, so this is basically means just like whichever player you pick for the lottery pick, give your best prediction on the Pacers starting five on opening night next year, and who is the first player off the bench? Oof, this could sound really boring, but I'm going opening night. I'm going Halliburton, Brogdon, Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, Miles Turner. And look, I'm saying I hope that we draft like a Jaden Ivey or a Shaden Sharp, but I don't think that they're going to be necessarily in the starting lineup on night one unless, obviously, Brogdon is moved. I would love to, you know, if we draft Ivey, I would love to be shipping out Brogdon as soon as possible to clear the way. But uh, that, that's what I'm going with for now. Did you have your first person off the bench? Uh, my, my, well, it would be that draft pick. The draft pick. Okay. Yeah, so I did a broke versus woke here um, in okay. terms of uh, two different lineups I cheated. So my broke one was Halliburton, Brogdon, Duarte, TJ Warren, Miles Turner, and then A.J. Griffin off the bench. All right. uh, my woke one was Halliburton, Ivy, Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, Turner with Brissett as the first guy off the bench. I think I fans like would like that. the woke one better. But yes. the broke one feels like something that could be like a, a reality that we don't really want to talk about, but it very well could be what actually happens. It very well could. I'm a fan of that woke lineup. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there, there's some people on this team right now. We don't know if they'll be there or not. So if one of those guys gets moved, then things change. But Isaiah Jackson, someone I really want to get into that starting lineup. Um, yeah, well, real quick, let's take a break, and we'll come back and answer the second half of these questions here on part one of the mailbag. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back, and we got Steve-O from Twitter. He said, how should it play out if Miles Turner and Halliburton have good chemistry and very limited playing time? Look, we already know him and Ajax play well together. The Pacers land a top-two pick and have a shot at Smith or Chet. Yeah, so I said I think you keep Turner for the rest of next season and let Isaiah Jackson back him up. Um, if, I, if Isaiah Jackson shows that he can start, then you don't overpay to keep Miles and start Isaiah Jackson in 2023, 2024 at the five and pair him with either Jabari Smith or Chet at the four. And you just let Turner walk or you figure out a side in trade or something. You know what I mean? At that point, if Isaiah Jackson really has shown that he could be um, the, the starting center, but at the same time, if Halliburton and Turner play really well together, you know, I think defensively, if you could have Turner with either, I mean, especially Chet, if Chet can stay healthy, and continue to put on some weight with that frame. I mean, Chet, his instincts are just off the charts. I think he's probably got the best instincts in this draft class. He just always knows where to be. Super smart player. Defensively, if you have Chet and and Turner out there together, I think you're going to have a much better defensive core than you realize that this team could have. Um, Jabari Smith is a good defender, not great. I think that, you know, he could learn a lot from Turner. But, you know, Isaiah Jackson, like you said, like really good shot blocker, really good timing. It just depends on how much you really want to pay these guys because you know Halliburton's going to be due for an extension. And is Turner going to be worth 20 to 25 million if you feel like Isaiah Jackson is close enough to replenish what Miles does? Um, I think that's how you have to look at it for me, Fotch. Yeah. I mean, look, I truly do think the top two picks are going to be Jabari and Chet. Um, probably in that order, but we'll wait to see. If the Pacers are able to get into the top two and have a shot at one of those, 
Look, I'm, I'm sorry, but you have to trade Miles Turner. I don't want to be in a situation where Turner has one year remaining on his deal and we have a top two pick basically coming off the bench or Isaiah Jackson isn't playing as much as he should. Uh, plus, also, if you're going to make a move for Turner, then I'd rather do it in the offseason rather at the trade deadline. So at least he has a full year on his deal. I don't think that we're a year away from seriously winning. So I would prefer to spend next year developing one of those top picks, one of those top big men, if that's where we go. Um, but look, I, I, I really want to see Halliburton and Miles Turner together because maybe that is the way to unlock Miles Turner. But how many games are we really seeing it? Are we going to go into a, with a five-game sample size and say, never mind, we got it over here? If the guy can't stay healthy, it, it's tough because it's a business. But yeah. we have to do what's best for the team. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how they handle this whole situation. I think Everything really just depends on where they get in the lottery and what they get via trade, what becomes available to them. Because um, I think they can make some moves in the offseason, but at the same time, I worry like, hey, they might just like try to run it back with a, with a decent core of guys they have now with some of the young talent because they don't want to continue to tank. But um, let's move on. Let's go to our next question. This comes from Chris Weech. He said um, he proposed a trade, actually. Malcolm Brogdon and a 2022 from Cleveland, from the Pacers, going to – Portland for Eric Bledsoe, the Portland pick that belongs to New Orleans, the first round pick that is, uh, I think it's a lottery protected. I'm not sure how protected it is, but um, I, I think it's in the lottery for sure right now with where Portland and New Orleans are at. And then you also get a Detroit second round pick in 2025. He wanted to know our thoughts on this trade. Uh, and he basically was explaining that if you cut Bledsoe, uh, you, you save $3 million. Basically Bledsoe's contract is only $3 million guaranteed. Yep. So, if you cut Bledsoe, you'll shave off a ton of salary. So you get a lot of cap space, but you also get another lottery pick. And since they still have their own pick, they'll still have their own lotto pick. So you're looking at now two lottery picks plus cap space to basically shed Brogdon for Bledsoe. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Fletch? Chris, I love this trade. Look, we get off the remaining $67 million owed to Brogdon. Bledsoe probably never plays for us. You probably cut him or flip him elsewhere. Because like you mentioned, only $3 million is guaranteed out of basically 18. So it's, it's an, a really appealing contract. Um, that, that Pelicans pick, I believe that it would go to uh, Portland if it's between 5 and 13. So right now that pick is slated to be 8th overall or have the best odds to be 8th overall. So I would love another pick in the top 10. The only real question is does Portland really want to bring in Malcolm Brogdon at this point? You have to re-sign Anthony Simons. So then you imagine that you have Simons and Dame playing together. I don't know if they envision Brogdon in that mix. And then also, you know, they, they're really trying to preserve cap room. So I feel like they're trying to go after, you know, some guys with a bit of a bigger name than Brogdon. So my guess is that Portland doesn't do the deal. If there's a way for Indiana to do it, I absolutely love it. Yeah, I said it's an intriguing deal, but Portland probably says no. I they don't need another guard with Damon Simons there. Yep. I mean, and, and they'd probably rather have that pick than overpay for Brogdon, Absolutely. Who, uh, who might not fit. So that's kind of where I thought about this. Like, if you're looking at it from a Pacers standpoint, like, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, it makes a lot of, of sense. You know, you get some cap space, you know, um, you get another lottery pick. Like, if you can get a lottery pick for Brogdon, I, oh I think God. that's pretty impressive. But, yeah, I, I think at that point, if you're Portland, you just cut Bledsoe yourself. Exactly. You know, that's the reason you yes. trade it for him. You keep yep. your pick and you don't go and you don't acquire a player that's got two more years left on his deal, can't stay healthy and doesn't fit a position of need. So 
for the Indiana Pacers, it was a great deal for the Portland Trailblazers. They would probably laugh at Kevin Pritchard nicely and just say, you think that trade makes sense for us? Like, come on now. Yeah, here's the last thing I'd say. If Pritchard pulls this off, I'm calling him the godfather because this man <laughs> is making deals that no one can turn down, and I don't know how he's convincing them, but yeah. I love every single second of it. But next question, we have Snob on the cob. He says, <laughs> he says, if you're Kevin Pritchard, speaking of him, how much money is too much money to re-sign TJ Warren this summer, considering the downside of his injury history, the upside of his on-court impact, and the Pacers' cap space? How much for a one-year deal? How much for a two-year deal? Okay, Fachi. So here's what I said. For a one-year deal, I'd give him $15 million max. Okay. For a two-year deal, I said $28 million max. So that's $14 million per year for two years. Um, you could maybe do it where it's like 12 the first year and then like maybe 16 the next year, like increasing like that if he proves he can stay healthy or something along those lines. But at the same time, I just think there's no way you can fully invest in TJ Warren longer than a two-year contract with this injury unless it's like similar to how TJ McConnell's contract is uh, where it kind of like, you know, increasingly grows as the salary cap, salary cap gets bigger. And maybe you pay him a little bit more, maybe start around like a like what he's making now and let it go up a little bit. But still, I just I just don't feel comfortable giving him more than a one or two year deal. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, look, that would be an increase for for TJ Warren. So I definitely think, given the injury, I think he'd probably take that because the market's just not going to be there for him. He's making a, just a hair under twelve point seven million dollars this year. In my mind, I'm thinking one year, eight to ten million dollars. I could see ten. Uh, at this point, it's like if you do the one-year $10 million, the Pacers have the cap space. It's not going to be that crazy. It's still comparable, basically, to what Warren was making this year. But if you're going to do a two-year deal, I'm at two years, $20 million. So a little bit less than you, but – A I, little. I, Good oh, grief. I mean, yeah. It's you're, paying him less, you're paying him less money this year than he's getting – or you're paying him less money next year than he's getting this year. And I'm going to bring up a good point. How many teams out there, A, have the cap room, and B – or rushing to sign a hurt T.J. Warren. Now, I love the guy. I like him a lot. Uh, maybe I'll back up and I'll go from love to I like him a lot. But I would even love that year two to be a team option. And maybe that team option is $15 million. So maybe it is more. Um, but it's like yeah. people want to prove it. Now, is that a slap in the face of T.J. Warren? I don't think so. I but think I, it is. Here's the thing. We, we, we might have paid him all year to not play and then paid him last year to play four games. So, if anything, I think this is kind of a – hey, you know, maybe test the market, see where it's at, and then get back to us. But I don't think teams are rushing to sign T.J. Warren for, you know, $15 million per year. I think that that first year that he played here, 2019-2020, he definitely outplayed the $12 million Absolutely, contract. no doubt. So you have to at least give him a little bit of credit for that. I probably played at like an $18, $20 million level player there. So I think that's where I looked at it. Like, okay, when he was fully healthy, he's probably a $20 million player. Yeah. But he hadn't played in two years, so now you meet in the middle. Uh, I think that's around $15 million a year and it's a short-term contract, not a long-term. So there's not a lot of long-term money guaranteed to it. And the nice thing is it's like a prove it contract. You know, the paces are going to have cap space this year. Um, are they going to be able to really use it on anybody? Probably not. Like we threw out the idea of miles bridges and Deandre Ayton and stuff like that, but it's like the, the realistic option of that happening is just not there. So that's why I think this is more realistic you, you let you let Turner or excuse me Warren come back and try to prove himself for one to two years, add a little bit more money than what he's at now, but not too much because, like you said, if you give him less money, then he's probably just going to say no, right? 
And if I'm him, I would probably say no too and try to find a team that could pay him because look, there's going to be teams like San Antonio, Detroit, Orlando that have the cap space that might be willing to offer him more money, even if it's not like, you know, a great situation for him. He might just take it because if you like pay a guy less money than he's already making now and he's about to enter his prime, I get that he had injuries. So I'm not knocking you for, you know, being a little bit concerned about it. But if it's just a one year deal, I think that's where you have to at least give him a little bit of a pay raise for one year to see if he can be healthy because we saw how good he could be when fully healthy. Yeah, look, I'm not trying to be heartless out here. What I could do, how about this? One year, $13 million. It's like a little bit more than what he made with a team option that second year for $17 million. So essentially – Whoa, $17 million. Good, man. Yeah. You just $4 million jump up there? Well, here's the thing. So you're essentially it's a two-year $30 million deal, which is actually right in line with where you were at. But that year one is at 13 instead of 15, and it's a team option. So if he proves it, and yeah, you are getting a pay raise, and then you could hit free agency again. But when you say a guy entering his prime, I don't want to be the one to say it. There's a chance that his prime might have already happened. Oh, come I, on. I, I, I hope he can get back to who he was because he looked like an absolute stud. It's been a while. Yeah, well, <laughs> wait and see. Hey, I'm glad I at least got you to pay him a little bit more. Good grief. I should be his agent. Oh, you got me up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just, you know, I get it. But at the same time, it's like we have to be – realize number one the cap's going up we have cap space he wants to be here if it works out then you're getting him still on a friendly deal whatever i mean if 13 and 17 was something he'd be interested in then i'd be fine with it you know i don't have a problem with it but you know i just throwing out some different ideas there but i just feel like the 10 million to give him like 2 million less than he's already making is just too big of an insult there i, I don't think you're going to really be uh giving yourself a good reputation as a as a as a franchise if you're going to lowball guys like that to a certain extent but hey negotiations got to start somewhere you know? <laughs> all right well you started there we finished somewhere in the middle so let's move yep. on to our next question thank you snob on the cop for that one uh justin b from the pace of roost podcast said honest opinion is rick carlisle in on the tank substitution patterns have been very eye-opening yeah i thought you brought up a great point earlier about those substitution patterns yeah. look but Carlisle's never going to admit it because you'd obviously get fined, but this man has to be in on the tank. Like, look, so the Pacers are losing some of these games where it's a bit nuts. Like, we're up, like, 20 early on, and then, like, you know, maybe we should call timeout earlier, or maybe we shouldn't be taking certain guys out, and then that lead just disappears. Like, no lead feels safe with the Pacers, and, you know, their, their fourth-quarter lineup sometimes are just highly questionable. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going with this man is in on the tank. Hey, you know, the best way to the best way to tank in Indiana, and this is not a knock on one of our favorite guys, is to play Lance Stevenson big minutes in the fourth quarter. Look, Lance Stevenson wasn't even on an NBA team until the whole COVID outbreak in the NBA. He came here. He had some really good moments. He had a great three that tied the game up in OKC. Oh, my God. Uh, was awesome. Against OKC in Indianapolis. I mean, it was fantastic being there for that moment. Fan base went crazy. I was enjoying myself. But that is a great way to think because, look, you saw what Lance did in overtime. <laughs> oh, 5 Everything that he was shooting, he was getting a little bit uh, heroic, you know, trying to play hero ball. And he just was, like, taking some really tough shots. And they weren't falling. He was really short on them. I think that is a great way to sell tank as well. The fans love Lance. to think you're invested in Lance long term. So they're like, yeah, let's go, Lance. You know, Lance is like, I'm about to show everybody what I can do. And then, you know, Lance can only do so much. He might win you a game here or there, but for the most part, uh, we've seen enough of Lance to know that he's too inconsistent to be a reliable end-of-game player. So um, that would be a terrific way to go about tanking is just like, hey, Lance, take us to the promised land. 
He, it would be awesome. I mean, that three look, that must have been electric being there. Oh, that. man. I mean, the shimmy, everything that followed it, it was awesome. You see Isaiah Jackson playing the air guitar. I mean, just great <laughs> stuff. Um, but I, I would just say Carlisle proved a point to the front office and saying, I don't have the pieces that I need. And, and I think it, he, he did whatever he had to do to make that evident. And ever since then, I just feel like we've seen pieces come into Indiana that everybody agrees we can work with this. So, yeah. so far, so good. Yeah, and real quick, I will just say this. I was sitting in front of the seats uh, where the suites are at. Dude, right behind me, Clay Bennett, owner of the Oklahoma City Thunder, was right behind me during that game. I was like, why is the owner of OKC here for Pacers Thunder, the tankathon matchup of the year? Um, and actually, I, uh, I looked behind me and I was like, man, I, I was like, I got to talk to this guy after the game. So I ended up saying something to him after the game. Asked him, uh, you know, what he was doing in Indiana. And he said, basically, they were looking at the uh, the renovations done to the field house. So don't know if that means they're going to be doing anything with OKC's uh, arena. But I know that that could use an upgrade from what I've heard from OKC fans and, and guys that cover the team there. And then also, I asked him about the Tyrese Halliburton trade, Fachi. And guess what he told me? What? I'm not the GM. I don't do trades. <laughs> oh, that's great. So that's he, great. Would, he didn't answer my question, but he did say that he had a fun game. Uh, that that was a fun game. He really enjoyed it when Lance made that three. He got this huge smile on his face. But um, he stood up in overtime when uh, SGA hit that go-ahead basket and got the and one. And he pumped his fist, man, pretty big. I was like, uh-oh, we're about to get Steve Ballmer back here. Um, <laughs> yeah. he, he was going – he was getting pretty excited about it. And then he sat back down and calmed down. But um, I will say this. I know a lot of people don't like him because he moved uh, Seattle, the Supersonics, yep. to OKC. But he was a really nice guy when I talked to him. So I really appreciated that. But – you know, just kind of cool. You never expect the owner of the team you're watching uh, playing your favorite team to be sitting right behind you. So felt like it was too good of an opportunity to not say anything, but didn't tell him about the podcast. Didn't even say my name, just made a brief conversation. <laughs> not bad, not bad. You should have told him he's going to have to pry that fourth overall pick out of our grips because, man, we're coming for it. We ain't letting it go. Both games against the Thunder have been bloodbaths in overtime. Yes, they have. So no, no one wants to give that pick up. It's been a lot of fun. This time, the Pacers were able to, you know, finally catch that L. But uh, next question, we have Anthony Childress. He said, yeah. Ivy would be a great pick, in my opinion, but which player, if still on the board, would you consider drafting over him? The only one for me would be Jabari Smith. Yeah, so right now on my big board, I have Jabari Smith over Jaden Ivy in terms of who I'd want for the Pacers. So. Mm -hmm. That is where I'm at. I think I have Jaden Ivey too right now, just because I'm so enamored by the athleticism that he brings to the table. Um, he's a really good guard. I just feel like he could fit really well with Halliburton because of how dynamic he can be as a, as an athletic finisher, where Halliburton probably isn't someone that seeks out as much contact as uh, Jaden Ivey can. Now, I know Jaden Ivey is kind of like a tweener guard, either point guard or shooting guard, but I think a lot of people view him more as an off-ball guard, and that's kind of how I view him as well. But Jabari Smith, man, he is the real deal. The only other person I would semi-consider selecting over him is Paulo Boncaro. I just – I really like his game. I think with him being 250 pounds, being the most probably ready prospect of those three to jump in right away, that could be kind of a selling point for Carlisle. Um, but, but other than that, you know, that's probably it. And I know you mentioned Chet earlier probably going number two in this year's draft, uh, if not number one with Jabari Smith. Um, I mean, Chet's making a pretty good case why he should be drafted over Ivy. And I think a lot of people like him over Ivy that cover the draft. I just, like I said, I just like athletic guards and that's what I prioritize. 
Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with all the names that you mentioned. If Jabari Smith is there, it would absolutely be extremely hard to pass up on him. Um, his his shooting capabilities, I think, for his size is just, you know, especially being a freshman, it's just something that you really want to see. So uh, I'm honestly not the big Paolo guy. I, I, I Maybe I need to dive into him a bit more, but I definitely like the fact that, you know, you mentioned he's 250. That's 40 pounds more than, J- than Jabari Smith. Yeah, yeah. So Jabari needs to put on some size. Otherwise, it could be a, a bit of a tough rookie year, but the talent's definitely there. The Pacers yeah. are picking fifth overall, and Jabari, Chet, Paolo, Ivy are gone. Shaden Sharp is someone that I'm, I'm extremely interested well, in. But well, hold, hold that there for a second, because that's our next question from Elliot uh, Beaver. Right. He said, right. we know who the top four are, but who are your five through nine options in the draft? Also, is there a guy you are liking the most in that with that second first rounder? So probably in that 20 range. So now go ahead and yeah. answer your five through nine that you like. So, yeah. So look, like I mentioned, Jabari, Chet, Paul, Ivy, I think those guys are in the top four. It seems almost unanimous, depending on which mock drafts you look through. Shaden Sharp from Kentucky, I, I think is probably going to be slated in at five. I think he's probably going to be someone who the draft workouts uh, really is where the buzz comes in because he's not going to be in March Madness where other guys are. Um, and if you guys obviously haven't heard of that, Shane Sharp from Kentucky Wildcats, uh, he, he's he's on a team that's really good, but yet he's not going to play this year. Johnny yeah. Davis from Wisconsin, I, I think is going to be in that top 10. Uh, A.J. Griffin from Duke, Keegan Murray from Iowa, Ty Ty Washington from Kentucky, Benedict Matherin from Arizona. I think those are the guys that round out the top 10. I think their spots could change a bit, but – we also saw guys like Zaire Williams jump into uh, Zaire, yeah, yeah. jumping <laughs> into I because I, every time I hear Zion Williamson, Zaire Williams, I'm like they're so close to each other. Anyway, Zaire made such a huge jump into the top ten that no one expected. We saw Giddy make a solid jump into the top ten, so a lot of things could change. But that's how I have it for now. Yeah, I would say for me, number five is AJ Griffin. Number six is Keegan Murray. Number seven is Ty Ty Washington. Um, well, actually, seven is Shaden Sharp, eight is Ty Ty Washington, nine is Johnny Davis for me. Um, and that's just kind of how I see the Pacers potentially viewing, though. I just – I love A.J. Griffin's game. Every time I watch him, she reminds me of, like, a bootleg Jimmy Butler to a certain ex- a certain extent. So, I really like that. Keegan Murray, man, look at his stats. I mean, he's been putting up some big numbers there for Iowa. I mean, so I, getting him in the six, seven range, I think, is really good. And then Sharp, you know, I just don't know. He's, he's a six-foot-five guard, so he's – viewed as a shooting guard, I'd love to see more tape on him. And um, there's a lot of guys that are just like really enamored with him. So I think he's just, he's that mystery box. I mean, it's so like, oh man, it's like, he's going to have to put on some really good workouts for like the Pacers if he comes out to uh, try out for them in their, in their draft prospect, uh, you know, workouts. But, you know, Ty Ty, he's sliding a little bit, I think, just because Kentucky's, uh, he's not played super great. And then Johnny Davis, I just don't like his fit. I'm not sold. I think he's a good player. I just don't like his fit with Indiana, if that makes sense. Um, I think he's more of like a Thibodeau kind of guy because <laughs> really good defender, likes the mid-range, and Carlisle hates the mid-range. So, um, But we need defense, and I think Johnny Davis could help us with that. So I think there's like pros and cons to it. But other than that, that's where I'm at with that. And then in terms of the later picks, Fachi, this is where it gets difficult. You know, I mentioned Nikolajovic already. Um, just looking at some of the guys in that area. Uh, Blake Wesley is a guy we talked about last week yep. that I have interest in as well. Uh, Jaden Hardy from the G League, uh, mm-hmm. Bo Camp from uh, Mar- Marjan Bo Camp from the G League as well, and then you know our friend earlier, uh, Jeremy. What'd you say his last name was? Did I say it wrong? Sohan. Sohan. Yep. Yep. Baylor. Yeah, that's another guy that's in that range that I think could be interesting. But 
I definitely need to do more research on the later pick because I've been so enamored with our top pick that haven't been able to get into exactly. a ton of footage. It's so hard to sell yourself. First of all, anytime, you know, the 20 to 25 range, probably where that cap, uh, Cavs pick is going to be, those uh, people in those spots are going to be changing every single day. You know, so that's going to be tough to predict. But when the yeah. Pacers are looking at a top five pick, it's hard to really not focus on that for right now. It's like I just have that tunnel vision of just the top five for now. Yeah, I think uh, EJ, EJ Little from uh, Ohio State, he could be another interesting name too. He's a little bit further down on some of the mocks that I've seen, like later 20s, but he's six foot seven. He's a power four, 240 pounds, you know, um, on Ohio State. Really good, really good coach here, Chris Holtman. So I think. He is a name to keep an eye on as well. But Fachi, that wraps up part one of the Mailbag Podcast. Can you let the people know where they can find us at on social media? Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-D-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And if you're excited to see Isaiah Jackson continue to start at the center position over Guga Batadze, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.